Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we continue our series over the Gospel of John. Enjoy. We're in uh, chapter 12, I guess uh, chapter 13, and uh, we're starting here at uh, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Real pivotal uh, phrase there, when Jesus knew. Now, it is kind of interesting that Jesus had known all along, right? I mean, this was not a mystery to Jesus as to why he came why he was born into the world, what his whole purpose and mission and ministry was. But what John is doing, I think, here in chapter 13 is now he's really narrowing in to the fact that now, within the next uh, several days, is when everything is now going to come to a head. Everything in terms of Jesus's uh, purpose and coming. And so that's why it says, his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. What also, and I didn't mention this in the notes because I just thought of it, is notice what Jesus is focusing on. Even though he knows the steps or the sequence of the events that would take him there. He's not saying Jesus knew that his hour had come to be arrested, to be falsely tried, to suffer and die on the cross, to rise again, and then to live for 40 days on the earth and then ascend into heaven, right? So what is he doing? He's looking forward to what? To the good thing, to the good thing, right? And maybe there's a little bit of a, a lesson in there for us is that when we feel kind of overwhelmed by all the things that we think are going to happen, we suspect are going to happen, or we're just darn afraid will happen, right? Is that we can do the same thing as we can look ahead to what? To heaven. Now, again, some people would say, oh, you Christians, you're just looking ahead to heaven, and then you guys don't care anything about what goes on in the world around you. Is that a legitimate criticism? No, it's not, because if I am, in fact, looking ahead to heaven, what difference might that make in the life I live now? What difference might it make? You can get through it. That's one thing. I mean, so we can endure... We can endure all things for him who strengthens us, okay? We can do that. We can endure. Okay, what else? Yeah. No, that's right. See, that be you you can become the light and the witness and, and even if you're not verbal like witness, you can be the light witness. And you can have hope. See, hopes in short supply uh, today because so many people are basing their hope on the idea of some things changing in the life around us. And we want that things to change. That's not an argument. But, but if I base my hope on that, the problem is, is that my sense of hope will always be thwarted. It will always fall short because it can't deliver. You know, if you have 10 people and you base your hope on 10 people becoming different, well, what are you going to do if only eight of them become different? You know, so that's the problem is that I can't base my hope on that. But when I look ahead to the fact that of the reality of eternal life with Jesus in heaven, 
wow, that gives you a hope and a courage for now, certainly to endure, certainly, but also to say, you know, the difference that that makes in your life now is one then that you're able to, uh, to live with and enjoy and share it with others. So that makes a huge, huge difference. Okay. So again, you know, the great thing here that we get from these two, from this particular verse is uh, not only did he know, but then what, having what loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It reminds us that at the end of the day, Jesus's ultimate motivation is what? Is loving you to the end. Yeah. Very, very few relationships can we actually say that about each other, but we can certainly say that about Jesus. And it does remind us, as in Romans 8, 39, that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The good news is, not even you can. You know, we think, oh, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's true. But what about you? Could you separate you? No. Not, there's not even all the dumb stuff I do cannot possibly separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It might separate me from other people, but it will not separate me from God's love. Yes, ma'am. That was an argument I heard when I presented the once saved, always saved. Yes. That nothing can take, separate you, is what we read in our scripture verses. Absolutely. And that was, the, that was brought up as a point, someone saying, well, you can separate yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, when you say nothing can separate you from the love of God. Yes. Eternity. Then when you say you can separate yourself, that is something. When you say nothing, that falls into that something. So you can you can't say okay you can't separate yourself because that falls in that verse when it says nothing that includes you. Why did I even say that? I don't know. <laughs> okay, but here's the question: Do you think that God will love people who end up in hell? Or is he only going to love the people in heaven and the people in hell he will not love? There isn't there a separation where it's not known? I mean, is God going to know these people are in hell? Yeah. He's going to day to day know what they're doing. Because he's a God and he knows everything. True, but is there no separation so that his thoughts aren't? See, God's able to do that without. See, this is the hard thing. This is a hard thing. And I feel like we're getting deeper and deeper into this chasm. And I, I know, I know. Why did I do? I'm asking myself, why did I do this? See, see, you're, you're catching me at a place where I'm, I've lost my mind anyway. And so, um, okay, so here, I, here's where I'm going with this. I, I was, I'm, I believe that the three hardest words that God who loves everyone has yet to say the three hardest words are the words that will be said at judgment day depart from me and the reason I say that is because God yes he's he's a just judge he is that he's also a loving father and I would say that the hardest thing that a loving father 
will ever have to say to their own children is depart from me. To me, that is not the end of his loving. The question is, in his loving, what is, what's he going to do? In his loving, he's not going to take them out of hell. In his loving, he, because the, the, justness, the justice of his judgment towards sin is that if you reject Christ, he still loves you. See, that's the whole message of this right here, is that Jesus loved the people who were crucifying him. Jesus loved the people who were betraying him. Jesus loved the people who were shouting him down like this big mob, and they didn't know anything why they were doing it except somebody was instigating it. And he loved them while they were doing it. So nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ because that's his love. But the question is, and this is the hard question, does his love, does loving someone mean then that if they reject you, that you have to have them bear the consequences of that rejection. You do if you're a judge. And that's the dilemma, see, for God, is he's a judge and he's a loving father. So it, we're not going to have to worry about it. See, it, it, sometimes we get worried about it. So as a Christian who is staying in faith, whether the faith is weak or the faith is like Billy Graham or something. Do you have to worry that you're going to wake up one morning and things have changed? Nope. Don't have to worry about it. And that's where we, I think, that's where we find our comfort. That's where we find our assurance. The hard thing is always, well, what about the people living on the edges? You know, what about those people? So I would always say, I don't believe in once saved, always saved, because of the fact that we have the ability to reject at some point. That doesn't mean he stops loving me. When the prodigal son went off, he was rejecting his father, and yet his father still loved him while he was away. But I would say once baptized, always baptized. I would say that. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm thinking that if you're worried about it, you're already saying... God has this importance that is greater than mine. Okay, so I don't think you really have to worry about it if you're worried about it. It's when you say, I can't believe in a God that would fill in the blank. Right. That's where you said, okay, I'm so smart, I can judge what God is doing, and I reject because He's, he's not performing well enough. That person, I think, is in trouble. But the person who's worried mm-hmm. about it, I don't think they're in trouble. It's just like it's like you said a couple of weeks ago. If there's an ember, yeah, we're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just you know, faith is faith. Whether it's like the tiny little sparky faith, or it's like the giant forest fire faith, that part of it. But again, it's just some of this is recognizing that the theology that you grew up with is hard to. Um, marry that to the new theology. So again, it's just it's some of that is your background versus my background. Again, do, would I have to worry about it staying 
faithful to Jesus. No. Don't have to worry about it. Well, and I've always had that brought up that when we say hope, yep. which we use so often, the hope yeah. of heaven. Yeah. Assurance to me is the word rather than hope. I use assurance mm-hmm. because I know that I'm safely going to be in heaven. And then another, another thing that I always think of when we talk about that, yeah. not being oh, assurance of being saved, is you're going through life and you don't have that assurance. I mean, if you think that there's a possibility that something can take you away from your salvation, uh-huh. then all the rest of your life you've got that in your mind that something can do that. I don't have that. I've got the full assurance I'll be in heaven. I don't have to worry about it. Right. Yes. And so to be able to live with that assurance rather than have this thing out here that's saying, well, something can draw you away. You yeah. can send yourself away. Right. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're I think we're sort of dancing around the same thing with different words. So Phil, did you have a thought about that? Well, I just was thinking back to your back to your question of, you know, does God people uh, does God love people that are in hell? Yeah. Or or that will be in hell. Right. And I I always come back to the thought that I mean, God could have created us where you know we we were we would all be in heaven but it was autopilot yeah, sure autopilot. yeah mm-hmm. i mean he 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 if he wanted to he could have forced us to love him no matter what yeah but what kind of love is that if it if it's a forced love right and i'm also thinking uh, you, you you mentioned a few weeks ago you know that like god saying you know i i do love you my creation this is how I present my love. Yeah. Um, and, and it gets me to thinking if we don't want to spend whatever amount of time that we have on this earth, whether it's 70, 80, 100 years, right. um, uh, res- like either reciprocating that love, accepting Jesus, mm-hmm. walking his way, right. what on earth makes you think that God would want you to do that forever in heaven? If you, if you spend that whatever time that you have, Rejecting oh. that love. Yeah. I, the other part of it, and it's, it's amazing that you all are quoting me from two weeks ago. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, gosh, what did I say? Um, but, you know, even what's here, this Romans passage, he, he says, we'll be able to separate us from the love of God in what? In Christ Jesus. See, at the end of the day, God's delivery of his love, particularly from a salvation point of view, is in Christ. So if I say, well, I want the love, but I just don't want Jesus. The problem is, is that then I'm standing before the just judge and no one that is there that I've accepted to be the one who has earned forgiveness for me. That's the problem. I, we're, you could stand before the judge and make your best case of what a good person you are and that, you know, you didn't really mean to do all those things. Or that even if you did, the things, the bad things that you did should not be counted as much as the good things you did. So now we're going to weigh the scales, okay? That, it's just hard to do that in front of a judge that says you have to be perfect. I mean, you can give your best shot at that, but the problem is you won't have any legitimate um, leg to stand on, right? So that's where Jesus says, well, 
okay, so I will come, I will live for you, die for you, rise again for you, and by virtue of what I've done for you, you're forgiven. So now you stand before the judge and you say, I'm forgiven because of what your son did for me. And the judge says, huh, that was enough. Go, go to heaven. Whereas the person who says, well, I know he did that, but that wasn't for me because I don't believe in it. What's the judge supposed to do then? What's he supposed to do? Say, oh, it didn't matter. Go ahead because you're a good person. No, you've rejected the very means by which the love was delivered. So I think that's the, the little bit of the dilemma for us from a human point of view is that we sometimes we want everything that God offers, but we want it on our own terms instead of on the way that he offers it. And then when we do that, well, then why would even why even offer it through Jesus if there's some other way for people to get to eternity without it? Does that maybe make a little bit more sense? Yeah. Thank you, Philip. That was an excellent point. Uh, oh, Bob. You know, I was just going to say, who is the just judge? The just, the just judge is Jesus. Yeah. And he knows what you did, but he also knows what your motives were in doing it. I know. Don't you hate that? It's terrible. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to tell a single lie. I know. <laughs> I know. See, in human life, you can say, I didn't mean to. Or you can get on somebody for being judgmental and judging your motives when you didn't tell them what they were. But you got no, you got no case in front of Jesus, right? Okay, so, okay. Does that, does that sort of mess things up even more? Yeah, great. All right, so well, let's see what happens because, you know, this kind of picks up a, the theme uh, even more so. Verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. Okay, so here we, here we complicate it even more, right? With poor Judas. When the devil had already put it into the heart. We could sort of say that when it comes to any temptation that you have in your life, irrespective of what it might be. In Judas's case, he was, he had, he was a complicated guy. He had some things going on. One, one of the things that was going on for Judas was that he thought that Jesus' kingdom ought to be something of power. You know, he was a little bit of a zealot, some people think. Zealots was a, was a sect in, in, uh, among the Galileans mostly, who were uh, very angry at Rome as being the oppressor. And so they thought that the best way to, 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 to handle the oppressor was to overthrow them. But zealots did it with a subterfuge. They did it, it was almost like uh, guerrilla warfare in many ways. They didn't have a big army, but there were a lot of individuals who felt that uh, this is the best way to... Uh, overthrow Rome. And then the Bible talks about, John does, talks about the fact that 
Judas was the keeper of the money bag, and so he was given over to greed. So that was a deal for him. And then uh, to some degree, he was somebody who thought that the best way to make things happen is to force it. He was not a very patient person. So all of those things would have played directly into the hands of Satan, who, as John says, he put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. Does that mean that Judas had no choice? And this is the dilemma that everybody has to wrestle with to some degree when we're dealing with, we're looking at what someone did and then there's like Old Testament Bible passages that say it was going to happen, you know, kind of idea. So what do, you, what do you think about that? See, aren't you glad that I didn't have you bring this up? Like, yeah, uh-huh, sure, yeah. Yeah, and we can play with it a little bit. It's somewhat clear in the Bible, somewhat not clear. Okay, yeah, Phil. Well, I mean, it had to be someone. So why not him, right? <laughs> Well, I know, but here's the, now, okay, Phil, you and me, mano a mano. So it had to be somebody. So what's to say that that doesn't happen in your life? See, aren't you wishing you hadn't said that now? Yeah. I mean, isn't that the dilemma that we, we think? Well, if, if God preordained it needed to be him, God's plan is laid out, had to be him, no choice, if he had said, no, I am not doing that. That is terrible. Oh, somebody else without even knowing, right? Well, I mean, that, that, that also goes with um, the reason why Jesus uh, delayed his coming uh, to, to certain areas um, because it, it, wasn't, it wasn't time yet. He, he needed to fulfill the scriptures <coughs> at, in, in a timely manner on God's time, not on man's time. And yeah. Judas is, is one of those is one of those avenues in which the scriptures are fulfilled. You have a thought on that? Well, I, I mean, kind of from our understanding, I remember, I mean, there's three teachings in the Bible. I'm going to have to come close to you because I don't think anybody can hear you, okay? And I, we're trying to pick it up on the thing, too. Okay? Well, I think there are three teachings in the Bible. There's Grace, we're saved by grace alone. Mm-hmm. God's grace is for everybody, but not everybody is saved. And so when we ask the question about, like, well, did Jesus uh, pre- choose Judas to betray him and Judas was doomed from the beginning, mm-hmm. we're really sailing in waters that we shouldn't be sailing in because if we believe in predestination in that sense, we're rejecting universal grace. If we reject... Uh, Grace, we're uh, saved by grace alone. We're synergists, believing it's we play a role in our salvation. If we reject hell, then we're universalist, and then everybody's saved. And none of those three things are true. And that's where, if we're saved, it's a work of God. If we're doomed, it's a work of man. It was Judas's choice, but whether we, uh, whether God predestined that, whether God. God obviously knew for ahead of time, but mm-hmm. well, how do we know Judas? It was fulfilled, so it was chosen. It's not really a question I think that we have the ability to answer. I know that's why I brought it up. So, <laughs> no, I mean because these these are the questions everybody wants to know. So here here's here's something to think about. At this point, 
when Judas does this, I mean, it hadn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. We know it will. Is he saved? Or is he just like the rest of us who's a sinner? See, if you want to talk about Judas, well, let's talk about Peter. Jesus said, wherever it is in the story, you know, hey, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Well, what about that? How's that any worse than this? How's it any worse than all the rest of the disciples who when the soldiers came and grabbed Jesus, they all ran away. They abandoned him. In fact, the, the Bible in the book of Luke says that they fors forsook him and ran away. Forsook and ran. How's it any different? When you think about it from that perspective, okay, you could say, well, Judas was premeditated. Well, that just meant he was further along in the sin than everybody else who was in the moment of the sin. But how's that any different from us? Well, it's not. Judas, he repented. In my mind, he repented whenever he went and threw the coins back in there, and then he went out and hung himself because of what he had done. And he, he was a disciple, so he some point acknowledged Jesus' purpose and believed. So where in Scripture does it say that Judas rejected, changed his mind, you're not who you say you are, I'm, I'm in hell? There's nothing in Scripture that says that, is there? What it says is that when Judas died, he went to his own place. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? Well, when we get there, we can ask him. I mean, see, again, it, it, it's just that dilemma of knowing his heart. Did we know his heart? No. No, we didn't. Well, you could say, well, he went and committed suicide. Well, okay, there's a lot of believers that do out of depression and despair and hopelessness. I mean, he went back to the scribes and Pharisees to give the money back. He said, I realize I've sinned. Well, they didn't pronounce absolution on him. They said, huh, we're done with you. What kind, of, what kind of deal is that? So he got no gospel from them, and he didn't give himself a chance. Now, can you extrapolate from that that he went to hell? You know, traditionally, I remember when I was in junior confirmation, I don't, know, I don't think I taught this, did I? I can't remember. You know, sometimes you just teach the stuff that you were taught. But or maybe you weren't there that day. I don't know what it was. But anyway, um, that traditionally we were taught that. I don't know if you guys went through that in confirmation, but I, I seem to remember that there was something like that. But see, again, it's, the question here is, in this moment, did he lose his salvation? The Bible doesn't say. Did he sin? Yes, just like we do. If you plan something and it's sin... Does that mean you're not a believer anymore? Does that mean that God doesn't love you anymore? No. What we're sad about is, is that he didn't give himself a chance to be reinstated like Peter did and like the rest of the disciples did. We're sad about that. But do we know if he went to heaven or hell? We do not know. And that's where we have to trust that God knows, God's got the plan, and that I don't have to worry about it for myself or for other people 
even though you could say that when people do commit suicide, there's just the yuck that goes with it. Okay? Okay. I want to keep going here a little bit. Okay? All right. So, again, what, uh, what happens here? All right, so the scene is set. They're uh, getting ready for the supper. They're doing the supper. And what, what would have been the normal thing when people gather for the supper is that somebody, uh, most notably a slave, would be in charge, whoever or was the lowest guy on the totem pole of how they did stuff, would be the one to uh, wash the feet of everybody else that was uh, there. But notice what, what is the, the, the preface to that. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that what? He was going back to God. See, John keeps saying that, that Jesus' focus is not on, he knows what the things are that's going to happen. He knows that. He's not oblivious. He's not amniasic. He, he, he knows. But the focus is, I can do these things because I am what? I'm going back to the Father. And then, knowing that, he lowers himself to the status of a slave. And not just any slave, but in fact, a female slave. Oh, yes, let's get some blood going on that one, huh? Yeah, see, because in those days, man, it was very patriarchal, right? Man, in the whole t t uh, hierarchy of things. And the lowest of the lowest of the low slaves were the female slaves. And it was their job to be the one to wash the feet. And so what does Jesus do? He girds himself, right? He gets up and he does the thing that communicates to them what life is to be like for us while we're focused on heaven. Gee, that would be a, you know, a wake-up call for a lot of us, wouldn't it? While I'm waiting to go to heaven. Oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. Oh, heaven's going to be so fantastic. Let me think about all the good things about heaven. What about girding ourselves and taking the actions and the attitude of slaves? and serving other people, and doing the stuff that nobody else wants to do, like Mike Rowe in Dirty Jobs. You ever watch that show? <laughs> that is a great show. I love that show. You see, when you're, there's a lot of things in life to be focused on, right? There's a ton of things. And if you can't think of anything, just go on social media and you'll have a million people tell you all the things that you need to be worried about and angry about and, and marching about. And many of them are good, but some of them aren't. And they fill our minds. And so with all the things there are to be thinking about in the world, of all the things that Jesus had to think about that would happen in the next 40 to 50 days, what's he do? Oh, going back to God. God's in charge. He's given all things into his hands. And in the meantime, what I'm going to do is serve, 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 serve. Wow, that is awesome. So here's the bottom line. 
When you know who you are and whose you are and how he feels about you, you also know where you're headed. And that gives you the courage that you need to do the hard things in life. Stand for your faith and take the jobs nobody else wants. Kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah. Because see, you can do that because you know doing that doesn't take anything away from what God has given you. Some people get really bothered by that. Oh, I could never do that. Oh, that's way beneath me. As if somehow you lose some of yourself if you go do that. Jesus goes, I'm going to go do that. And he's not losing any of himself. And there's something in there for us to learn. Well, he comes to Peter. Of course, Peter. And Peter is offended. He's kind of indignant kind of questioning, right? Are you going to do this to me too? Why do you think he, what do you think was, I mean, again, here I go asking you to read Peter's mind, but what do you think? What do you think's going on with Peter? What do you think's going on with Peter? (laughs) You're right. We don't know. What's going on with Peter? Well, okay. What's going on with you? When you are confronted in the moment of someone recognizing that maybe they could serve you. How many of you would rather care for others versus being cared for yourself? Care for others? Why would we rather care for others than have them care for us? Tim, I'm just going to ignore you. No, go ahead. Why? Why do you think? Well, because I, I think, for example, even in today's society, when we have to ask for help or receive help, we can imply that someone may be calling us weak or it's, you may feel like it's an attack on our pride. Yeah. Yeah, I can help others. But I mean, kind of like with some of the, uh, some of what is going on in society today, uh, with some of the, uh, extreme feminism. I, I just want to know what's going on with you. I, 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 I want to know what's going on with you. Not you personally, but I just mean, why is it so hard for me? Not, I, I, I know society, but I want to know why is it so hard for me to receive the care for, from others when I would much rather give the care myself? You're, you're, you're getting there. What is it? What is it? Yeah. Huh? Yeah, I mean, and it's what Tim was talking about is if I receive the care from someone or accept the care from someone, what does that imply about me? I need it. (laughs) It means that I'm not in the strength position. It means that I have to admit that I'm in the position of needing it. I'm in the position of weakness. I'm in the, as Tim said, as I'm in the position of needing something from somebody else. And I would sort of suggest that's pretty hard to take. Especially if you are someone who kind of prides yourself on caring for others. Right? Any caregivers here? Anybody do that professionally? Yeah. Besides me? It's hard. It's hard to take, um, let's say, how many of you are comfortable when other people compliment you. 
say nice things about you. Oh, thank goodness one person is, yeah. I mean, isn't it kind of that thing where, you know, it sort of bumps up against the feeling that I... Sh- I mean, especially if people compliment you and, and they're right. You know, what about that? You know, that they, yeah, and I, you're right about me. I am pretty great. Yeah. I think it fills up my gas tank to do more. Yeah, it does. If you use it for that purpose. Okay. It's just, a <laughs> if you don't, yeah. But, but see, it's just that, it's just, it's one of those hard things, isn't it? Right. Peter was way into being in charge of the twelve. And he had sort of taken on that role anyway, right? He was kind of the spokesman. After all, look what, I mean, he walked on water. <laughs> right? I mean, if you walk on water, you don't need other people serving you. I mean, you don't need to be a servant you, 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 because you can do these great things. And what does Jesus do? Jesus comes and serves him. Also built into what Jesus was doing, and we'll see that in just a second with what Jesus says. But the disciples knew by now that whatever it was that Jesus was doing for them, he would what? He would expect them to do for other people. Yeah, Peter, he was, he was seeing that right through that, right? And so that's sometimes the annoying aspect of Jesus is that he says, as I have loved you, now go love each other. As I have forgiven you, go forgive each other. As I have served you, now go serve each other. As I was willing to lay my life down for you, go lay, de- go lay your life down for somebody else. Whew. I don't know. I think I would just take the first part and then think about the second part, right? Well, let's see what happens in verse 8. Peter said to Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, do not only wash only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said, Not all of you are clean. See, Peter, again, probably, I mean, poor Peter, he probably actually felt what they all felt, but he's the one that said it. And you know how it is. If you say stuff in the Bible, it gets recorded forever. And then, <laughs> and then people know, and they always, it's like poor Thomas, you know, Thomas probably thought, oh, why did I even say that? You know, kind of thing, <laughs> right? But notice what, what Jesus does. He says, if I don't wash you, you have no Share with me. I mean, you could link it to baptism if you wanted to, the whole washing idea, but it's the whole thing here of serving through the love and forgiveness. And basically what he's doing is he's linking to them that what he's doing now is what you will be doing the rest of your life in my name. And uh, that became eventually clear to him. Okay, verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you what? If you argue and debate over whether or not I did these things. No, that's, he says, you are blessed if you do them. And that's that whole linkage there between what we know, sometimes what's in the brain is a mile away from what's in the hands. And that's what he's saying is, if you know them, then do them. So there's a couple things that I was thinking there with respect to when he says, for I have given you an example. Because the example is not only in what Jesus did, but it was the how he did it, which is so fascinating to me always that we look beyond just the action, but we also look at the manner in which it was done. So notice if you go back to Jesus doing what he was doing, uh, some things just to, to observe. First thing he did was he noticed what had not yet been done. Now, I, I'm always amazed by that. Some people really have an eye for that. They notice the gaps. They notice where the cracks are, right? They, they are aware of all the things that have been done, right, in some sort of setting, but they are really tuned in to what isn't happening or what hasn't happened. Would any of you say that you're like that? You have a little insight into that? Yeah, uh, uh, Doris, I would, I would agree with you on that. Okay. Oh, you're smiling. Well, I this morning when I was watching live streaming. Yeah. By the way, uh, Keep saying that. Keep saying that. Yeah. Okay. One of the singers was barefoot. Oh, I didn't see that. And you noticed that. Under the chair beside her. Oh. And then I couldn't, I was obsessed with that. You couldn't. So, oh, so you, you noticed that. It was very, na- it was a natural song, I'm sure. Yeah. So see, some of us, some of us notice the gaps. Some of us, like me, are totally oblivious to it and don't see it. But so, so there is value in being able to have that kind of sight, okay? There's also value in being able to put it behind you and, <laughs> and, uh, and not uh, think about it. Okay, all right. Well, wish I, another thing I wish I hadn't brought up right this moment. Yes. Okay, here we go. All right, well, so the second thing was he saw that no one had come forward, forward to do it among his disciples, they're all sitting around going to have a meal. They're not even thinking, hey, how come our feet are still dirty? What, what about that? And how come there's no slave here or servant to take care of that? So then what does he do? He takes it upon himself to do the task. But notice the way that he did that was he did not call attention to his work. He just went and did it. And he didn't make a big deal about it and say, oh, you know, uh, here's my favorite thing about that. Have you ever wanted other people to know the emotional sacrifice that you are making when you do something for others? What is the way that you express that to other people who are not noticing the sacrifice that you are making? Is there some ways that you have that would communicate that? Is anybody here get into heavy sighing? <laughs> you know, kind of the uh, 
the face, the facial expression of deep sacrifice and uh, <laughs> martyrdom that you are suffering because you're doing this. Is that what Triton does when he goes? <laughs> yes, he's got it down now. And that's just his exacerbation with humans around him is what that is, all right? But again, see, that's, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't go, oh, really? He doesn't do any of that. Notice also he didn't guilt trip his disciples into doing it. Boy, if anybody could guilt trip people, you'd think Jesus would. The perfect person in the room would be able to do that. But he didn't do it. You know? And he gave Peter a choice. Peter initially rejected it. You're not doing that with me. And don't expect me to do it with other people. And, Peter, and Jesus goes, okay, well, that's fine. Just want you to know, by the way, that if I don't do it to you, you're not part of me. Ooh, gave him a choice. And then he used it to teach them after he was done. Pretty cool stuff, huh? Sometimes the what that we do can get totally mushed up by the way we do it. And the way we do it ends up uh, confusing the message of what it was we intended to do. So then Jesus does the contrast we've often seen that him do. Servant, master, which in that, in that society, I mean, talk about injustice. Whew. In that society, the servants and the slaves had no rights. In fact, they weren't even people. They weren't even counted as three-quarters of people. They were possessions to be done with whatever the master wanted. And so what Jesus is saying here, the servant isn't greater than the master, right? But if the master's going to do this, then what does that say about the servants? They do it too. And then in the messenger, you know, and it was common in those days for, for messages from one uh, uh, community to the other to be transmitted orally. A guy would be the guy, here's the message, run 20 miles and go tell the king over there what we're going to do. And so Jesus is pointing out the obvious. Hmm, the messenger is not greater than the one that sent him. But his point is what? Where are the messengers? So as he has done for us, so we do for each other. Okay. I am not speaking to all of you, of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, Jesus says. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate bread, hate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. It's interesting that Jesus... You know, each time that he mentions this stuff with Judas, you could argue that in that moment, he's giving Judas an opportunity to come back to him. It's like one after the other, right? Which is so comforting that he would do that. But Judas was, he was dead set on what he was about to do. And there wasn't anything going to be getting in the way of that. So we would sort of argue that probably at that point, Judas had hardened his own heart, his own position, right? But look at Psalm 41.9. That's where the scripture is, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. That would have been in David's life for sure, okay? 
Um, and that would have been within even his own family, his own, one of his own sons attempted to do that, right? But here that verse is used to, by John to link to, uh, to Judas, okay? But again, notice what Jesus does, is he links it to their trust and faith in him. He said, I'm letting you know this ahead of time, not to freak you out, but rather so that when it does happen, you will know that I am the one. And so you can be comforted by that rather than getting blown away by all the things that are about to happen. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So the ultimate kind of reassurance there, right? Yeah. You believe in Jesus, it's the same as believing in God. You receive and accept. We play around with the words accept or receive. But if you accept or receive the love that God has given you in Jesus Christ, your, your, uh, your salvation is secure. Forgiveness is yours. All right, let's, uh, let's close our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time together. So many questions we have, Lord, some of which don't have any answers, or we just don't know. But that's kind of how life is right now. Lots of questions, lots of things on people's minds, lots of, of wondering, lots of curiosity, lots of anger, lots of fear, lots of reaction. Oh, Lord, we're so glad you're in charge. We're so glad that you have a plan. And we're so glad that at the end of the day, the plan includes us being loved by you and uh, having uh, a way to spend eternity with you. And we have that through Jesus. So I pray for each one here. I pray for our uh, folks who listen in on the podcast to, to always know that uh, the greatest assurance that we have and the greatest hope that we have is found in you and your love for us. Help us to use that love in, in very productive ways to make a difference in the world, but also to know that at the end of the day, the hope that we have is not based on the world changing but rather on the love that you've already given to us in Jesus. So watch over us this week, especially uh, this, uh, the remainder of the July 4th holiday, and uh, bring us back safely until we're together again. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone, or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.